to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans and chapter 8. Uh, this morning I want to speak on a subject uh, that seems like or looks like, you know when the Bible says that there are two commandments uh, and the second is like unto it. Alright? So this one is like unto what we discussed last week where we spoke about, where people that weren't here, we spoke about the dangers of being just optimistic as against, alright, the real type of faith that understands the challenges or the facts on the ground and says that it combines absolute faith in the outcome and integrates it with the facts that are on the ground. And we gave the example of the highest ranking military officer during the Vietnam War, American military officer that was imprisoned and was a prisoner of war and was tortured for over seven years or approximately seven years and was tortured over 20 times. And when this writer of this book went to do an interview with him, um, he asked him very clearly, he said that reading your book, I experienced some measure of depression on the inside, just going through your story and your own account. He said, how did you survive, all right, when you were in it all? And if I just reading about your story, all right, have been depressed and had this bad feeling, you that went through it and not even knowing the outcome in definite terms, how did you survive as a person? He said that, first of all, I always said and knew somewhere that we were going to get out, and I kept saying it. The second was that I understood that this was the defining event within my life that was going to shape his future, his name, his family. Therefore, he made up his mind that he wasn't going to trade or sell out on his nation in order to get any temporal relief. And so he understood that he must hold fast to his integrity and his core values and at the same time maintain a solid confession of faith. Then the second thing that he now said was those that didn't survive, those that didn't make it, what was it about them that you noticed about them that it was clear that why they did not make it? He said that's simple. He said they were the optimists. They were the ones that kept saying we'll be out by Christmas. And then Christmas came and they were not out. And then we'll be out by Easter. Easter came, they were not out. And he said, literally, half on time, they got broken. Some of them died in the place. Some of them came out. But, you know, they came out, had to be on drugs and all of that. You know, were not tough, were not strong. Because they were optimists. They kept, they had this short-term mentality. And what we're looking at in this series here is that we understand that, and people understand the principle of faith, People mentally agree and consent, or assent rather, to the principle of faith. They mentally understand it. All right? But we are looking at the paradigms under which people live. The systems of thought, belief patterns that people live under which people live that actually negates the effect of their faith. And those paradigms look like, you know, faith paradigms, but they are not really faith paradigms. And these things destroy all right, the faith of people. That this feeling that, one, because I'm a person of faith, all right, the challenges will not be there. That I'm just going to have a smooth ride. Jesus said anybody that wants to build a tower must first sit down and count the cost. If there's a tower on the outside, 
a price must have been paid by that person. It's not just Jesus that will pay the price. You also have a price that you're going to pay. You have a sacrifice of faith that you are going to offer up of yourself. There are certain things that you have today that by the time the tower is complete, you will not have those things again. There are certain relationships in your life that by the time the tower is complete, those relationships will not be there. There are certain things that you will give in exchange for the manifestation or the materialization of those things within your life. So we're looking at this. In reality, how faith grows, develops the practice of faith in the midst of these things. And so we attack that short-term mentality paradigm. And today we want to look at what we've termed the normalcy bias, which is the normalcy bias. And we'll define what the normalcy bias is. But before I go into reading, okay, Romans chapter 8. Well, let me just read it first. It says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Which means there is no condemnation. The Greek original meaning of the word condemnation is that there is no reason for you to fail in life. Which means the source and the roots of failure is dealt with by this principle. And I believe so. I believe that if we live according to this principle, we'll be living on the cutting edge and we will be taking ourselves out of anything that has to do with condemnation. Condemnation has to do with manifestation of death, which means they will never see death. They will never see failure. It's only with their eyes. When they see the reward of the wicked upon them, it shall not come near their dwelling place. No condemnation means a thousand will fall on their left, ten thousand on their right. It shall not come near their dwelling place. Because they are walking, the condition is that they are walking in the spirit, all right, by the spirit and not in the flesh. All right, to walk by the spirit means you are making decisions under the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So a man that is walking in the flesh, all right, his five physical senses are the things that govern his decision-making pattern. Doesn't see the logic in what you are doing. When you decide to go about it this way, when you have a company and you make this decision, that's why any spiritual leader cannot be locked into collective um, decision-making at the highest level. You can delegate, all right, certain things at a lower level, but the highest level of decision-making must be made inside your closet by the promptings of the Spirit of God. If that decision-making level, level is taken away and given to the collective, whereby you put your trust there, then that ends the operations of the Spirit of God within that particular place. So, we are speaking about somebody who the logic, right? If you go into the place, listen to everybody, look at everything, look at the facts, have what you can feel, touch, and all of that, you will not find any reason why the person went that way. All right, but it's the instincts of the Spirit of God within that person. And therefore, the Spirit of God knows certain things that he informs that person about, communicates it to that person by creating, we'll see this, burdens inside the spirit of that individual that has weights within them, and they have got to respond to that weight. 
And when they respond adequately and properly, which is what we'll discuss today, to the weights that are on the inside, light dawns on the inside of them. In some cases, God just works all things together for their good. By divine coincidences, their lines fall into pleasant places and they have a goodly heritage of the Lord. And this is what we're talking about, the instincts of the Spirit. I mean, one man said he went into the wildlife, all right, when they're in Africa and somewhere in South Africa and he noticed how animals with that instinct, the human being is still there, some animals will just feel the ground and suddenly you just see all of them running, all right? And you say, well, I can't see any danger here. You look around. I can't see anything. Ah, well, nothing is coming, all right? By the time it appears, if you are not moving before it appears, by the time it appears, just pray that human beings are not part of his diet. You understand this? Because it will be too late. Are you following what I'm saying here? And that's why there's condemnation because people do not pray this way. And when we operate this way, the Bible speaks about the fact that the spirit on the inside groans and travails and we will look at that within our being. Now where this concept comes from, where, which I want to well, start out, it comes out of the Old Testament and this was God taking the nation of Israel into the promised land. Alright, so we have our promised land, which is our vision, things that we are confessing, that we have prayed to God, this illumination of scripture, all of that. We are making these bold confessions out of our lips. And God says, I am taking you to this place. First thing we have to know about God was that he was explicit about the promised land. He told them the dimensions, the kind of fruit, how it is, created a clear picture of that. But God did not tell them what they will go through. All right? He did not explain the wilderness. He did not explain the transitions. He didn't explain all of that. So while you are making your confession and you are excited, reality is going to dawn as you begin to march towards it. And you are therefore going to get a couple of surprises. Are you following what I'm saying here? Which means things will happen that you want at the start of the thing. Just get psychologically ready for that. People will manifest behavioral patterns that you will you understand. It's all things are possible in the wilderness. Don't forget that. In the wilderness, all things are what? Possible. I've always said to people, I'm not, I don't believe in conspiracy theory. I am not paranoid, but all things are possible as far as I'm concerned. In the world of evil, also all things are possible. So there's none that can happen. I will say, yeah, yeah, I've passed that stage in life. And you can be prepared for those things and there's a way and manner in which the spirit of God prepares you. But to cut the long story short in this concept, what happened was that when they, after the Passover when they came out, alright, got into the wilderness, God told them that this is the law here. Okay? The law of movement here. My cloud will be over you, which is a type of my spirit to lead and guide you. And that cloud will be over you. Wherever you see the cloud, make your tent there. Tent means a temporarily dwelling place. Which means that you are going to move after some time and pack up your issues. When will you know you will pack? Once the cloud moves. He said, when the cloud is there, I can be there for six days. I can be there for one month. I can be there for two years. I can be there for three weeks. But the commandment is, as long as the cloud is there, you stay there. I can be there just for one night. Once the cloud moves, you move. So what you have to do, this is the charge and the commandment of God. And that was a type of keeping the Passover every day. The Passover was the unleavened bread that they quickly, before it got leavened, came out of Egypt. All right, that's what they ate, that the angel of death did not destroy them. The Bible says they kept the Passover that the firstborn among them might not be destroyed. And in that Passover, it says, once the cloud moves, pack everything and quickly move with the cloud. Don't linger on. If you linger on, you're going to get exposed. Once you are exposed, the heat is going to hit, will hit you. Once it hits you, you're going to get bitter. 
you are going the animosity, malice, and all of that. If you are a Christian and you found yourself in a situation where you are wrestling with bitterness, where malice and all of that, where you know you've got yourself entangled in the affairs of men, you know you are talking. This person said that. This person said that. It's because the cloud moved on and you did not recognize early enough the motion of the cloud and go with the cloud. And what has happened simply is just you trying to deal with a spiritual thing by natural means. All right. And the issue about keeping the Passover was that you moved so that you will always be free of malice. The unleavened bread was a bread without malice, with bread without bitterness. All right. So you keep that. And the point about that is you keep that. You are never bitter. There is no malice on the inside of yourself. In order for that to happen, he said, once the cloud moves, make sure you move with the cloud. That is your protection. All right. Your commitment should be to God. Your first and foremost loyalty should be to God. You must move with the convictions that are deep on the inside of yourself and with the leadership of the Holy Spirit inside your life. The firstborn was the one, and it says that Passover did not, kept the firstborn. The firstborn was the one that was not the first child, all right, according to Jewish custom, but was the most mature child, the one the father could trust. That during a ceremony, the father will bring out and say, this is my firstborn in whom I'm well pleased. And he was the carrier of the inheritance. He carried the vision of the family and the name of the family to the next generation. So we had Jacob being the firstborn of Isaac. We had Joseph, who wasn't the first child. Jacob wasn't the first child. Being the firstborn, all right, of Jacob, the carrier of the inheritance, the one that he was upon, that took it to the next generation. That's the firstborn, all right, among many brethren. And in order to be the firstborn on the earth today, your life must be free of malice and bitterness. Which means, regardless of what happens to you, you must make sure, if you are going to become a firstborn, a carrier of the inheritance and the name of Jesus on the earth, you must do everything within your power to make sure you are free of bitterness on the inner side of yourself. People will treat you in various ways, but just make sure you are free of bitterness. Move on with God, alright? Don't try to, you know, battle with people. Just move on. As God is going on, just move on with God. That's the important thing. I said in the three services, I told one of my staff in the office, I said, listen, I spent the last 20 years, and I mean what I'm saying here, bending backwards to accommodate people, I'm not doing it again. I stopped during the week that I'm not bending backwards to accommodate anybody again inside my life. I have spent enough of emotional energy doing that. If you are the same, we have the similar convictions, we work together. Anybody that doesn't believe the way we believe, good luck to you, we'll pray for you. But to bend backwards and say, let us build consensus with people that actually don't have the same spiritual orientation, where you'll be struggling and trying to accommodate every thought and idea. I'm not doing that again, all right? I remember once, and it almost affected the birth of this church, that Bishop Rika had to call me in one conference. He said, you know your problem. He said, you are trying to save your ministry at the same time, save relationships around you. Choose one. All right? Which means that you want to save. I'm no longer a Messiah. You understand this? Where you want to save the whole world and save you. You cannot. You have to choose one. It's either you birth your destiny and those God has called to your destiny come together. All right? Or you birth friends and then you understand what it is without God. You have what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's important. So when the cloud moves, it's important that we move. And there are signs. There are ways. All right? As we're confessing, uh, we'll move from one level to another level. We'll go through things. And it's important that we 
know the signs of God, to know what will happen in our environment and how to respond to God during those times in order to be able to move with God. Understand your loyalties with God and when those things happen, to understand how to move with God. And what the Spirit of God does for us is to make us know on the inside, all right, from things that happen on the outside, where it is not what we just see with our physical eye, but spiritually we see deeper by the Spirit, and then we know that, listen, a change has occurred in this place, and therefore we want to respond to that change and move on with our own lives so that we can get into everything that God has ordained for us. Now, the normalcy bias is when you look around within your environment and there are changes that you can see, a little here, a little there, all right, but you just don't respond to it you go back into that normalcy mode. All things are the same, all right? Nothing has really changed, and you want to behave like there is no change. The work of making that adjustment, all of that, you don't want to do it. You say all things, no, everything is the same, all right? Let's just continue living our lives this way. Normalcy bias is a person who is in an office, and suddenly the attitude of the boss towards you has changed. You notice that he's beginning to withdraw. The body language has changed, all right? You can see that something must have happened. The cloud has moved in this place. What's going on? Where what's happening here. Everything changes. Normally he walks through your own office to get to his office. Now he walks through the longer routes just to make sure he doesn't make eye contact with you. Alright? And goes there. But then, you know, those signs are there. You don't do anything about it. You go and greet him again. How are you? I saw everything is the same. Alright? It's in a person who is married and then suddenly he starts coming late or she starts coming and on certain things are changing within the environment. You can see that the changes are happening there. And you say, no, 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 no. Right? You want to go into that normalcy mode. All things. And you don't know that those changes there, if you respond properly to them, you are going to move into the next level of your life, whether next level of your career, next level within your marriage. And if you don't respond to them properly, then they will become detrimental. Which means that then it carries the element of death. All right, within that particular thing. And every marriage that was once happy that gets broken is because of this, which means that there were changes, and when they should have responded properly to those changes and adequately to those changes and made the adjustment in God, all right, and moved it to another level where the promise of God will find greater expression, they entered into that normalcy mode, nothing has changed, and the thing just started deteriorating also within an organization all right in a company you have clients any business that was once great in the 80s and maybe or 90s and today we don't know about them they entered into what is called the normalcy mode which meant that changes started occurring clients started moving and behavioral patterns started changing but the people there just did not change all right they entered into that normalcy mode they didn't do anything about it this is thing, this normalcy bias is very very dangerous all right i remember somebody told me this and i corrected the person because it's a hubris of success and somebody I, I was talking to someone in this church and the person told me that oh there was this lady she was in this church i told her i said okay yeah and the person said oh well, she said oh she's left i said why is she left? what happened she said oh she was ill and nobody came to visit her in the hospital and you know um she complained about it so she goes to another church she says oh the word is better in covenant but people seem to love more in that other place so i've joined that church and the girl said that oh that person told her that uh, let her go she can go for everybody that leaves covenant 10 people will replace and i told her i said what did you say you understand what I'm saying? Now, what that means is that instead of responding to that, instead of you dealing with that, the arrogance of success, are you following what I'm saying here? Yeah? The hubris, which means because you see people, all right, you, you, don't, you don't think that one voice of one person, 
right? An unknown person really could be a message from God about something. It, it, it is a message from you don't think that way. And this is where the problem really begins to, to, to begin to set in, which means that that kind of thought pattern, and this is what really destroys. So I want to look at this, all right, and see how we need to ruthlessly remove from our system this normalcy bias. And normalcy bias refers to an extreme mental state. People enter when they are facing a danger, or sorry, a disaster. It causes people to underestimate both the possibility of a disaster occurring and its possible effects. This often results in a situation or in situations where people fail to adequately prepare for it. So what we have is a failure to adequately prepare all right, for what was coming. By the time the disaster hit, they were giving this person a sack letter from the office. That sack letter, their rent is due two months' time. And they had built themselves on the bonus that they would get at the end of the year to pay that rent. Bills have piled up. They have mortgage that they have paid. They have a car that they have got to pay for. Children's school fees are there. All right? And suddenly the sack letter has come and the whole thing looks like a situation where there is condemnation there. And we need to understand this about Christianity. In most of our battles, even every single one of them, should be fought and resolved before they are made manifest. Which means you must pick them up in the spirit and deal with them before they are made manifest. Sometimes, you're right, we're just being polite. It becomes too late to recover everything. If it manifests and breaks, it's just like somebody, the animals are gone, and then you are still there. By the time the lion appears, you start running, you know that you are, you are behind schedule. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah? You might lose a, you lose a leg, you might suck, get out, but you will never forget. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah? So it's the same thing also. If Noah didn't pick it up, that there was a flood coming, and began to take up the logic of the Spirit of God, and the floods now came, everybody was living normally, you know, eating, drinking. The witness must have been on the inside of them, but they entered into that normalcy mode, giving into marriage and all of that. When the flood came, some people were there with wedding is too late all right the waters the tsunami is coming it's just too late okay so sometimes people you don't even come to meet you for cancer and on the inside of yourself you almost get depressed because when they start telling you the story you know that listen this thing is a little bit late all right that you should have addressed this thing sooner that when the indications were there you should have dealt with this particular thing you should have handled this particular thing much that you will have seen the absolute faithfulness of God. You'll have even had no reason, alright, to come for counseling with anybody. No reason. All you'll have had was absolute and unprecedented victory. Okay? You'll have had the grace of God flowing in your life. Alright? You'll have moved into a new level if you simply did it at the right time. And here's the challenge of vision and insight. It is said of hectic fever that, listen, it's a malady where it is difficult to detect but when it's difficult to detect, it's easy to resolve. But when it becomes easy to detect, it is almost impossible to cure it. And that's how it is with life. When it is difficult to detect, whoever can see it 
and pick it up at that level, it becomes very easy to deal with it. You will deal with it and nobody will know anything about it. All right? But when everybody knows about the problem, it has got to a place where it is almost impossible to recover all because of what you are confronted with and the way and manner in which it is. So I want to look at this, how you pick these things up and what you do. The fact that you are in an office and things have changed and the cloud has moved doesn't mean, and what happens at the end of the day is that fight might break out and I say, well, I'm resigning. All right? It might not mean, it might not mean for you to resign. All right? It might even just mean that there's a transition that is going on. It might mean that you are leaving a department and going to head another department somewhere. It might mean that, you know, you are going to leave Lagos and you are moving into Abuja or into the pocket of the world, but God wants to promote you somewhere else. And you can miss all of that because if you miss it in the spirit, then if it breaks out in the natural, it can break out with a fight, alright, and then there's a resignation and you have missed out totally on the program and the agenda of God. Because if you read Romans 8 down, it speaks about the manifestation of the sons of God. And it tells us that during those times, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought when this thing appears. But the spirit himself maketh intercession with groanings that cannot be what? Uttered. 